why don't we put a value greater on the lives of the upper class and put no value in the life of the homeless, drug addicted, and the sex worker. Yes, the latter three examples would be considered a high-risk lifestyle, but that should not matter when it comes time to lend a helping hand or when an egregious crime is committed against a person that is deemed less than. So many times we see these cases get pushed to the side and we hear things like, oh, they had a rap sheet or they did drugs or she was a prostitute, he was a prostitute. So what? These women in this episode today have been forgotten. But even more so, in the early 1980s, mental illness was a factor with so many of these uh, actions that they had taken. Drug addiction is something. It's not just a, well, just quit. The point is, these women had families that loved them. They were mothers with daughters wondering why their, their mom had left and never come back. Let's treat people how we would want to be treated because one day something may happen to your family or you. And how would you feel if those investigating just didn't do anything? So here's the story about seven wonderful women that had a chance encounter with a monster that ended their life. No one asked for that. This is The Weekly Podcast. All right, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of The Weekly Podcast. You may hear me rattle uh, a few pieces of paper. I apologize uh, if that's not professional or if it gets on your nerves. Please forgive me. Today I want to talk about a series of murders that occurred in the early to mid-80s. They all had one thing in common. A woman discovered February 1983 in Littleton, Wetzel County, West Virginia, found along Route 250, on a, which is a very busy connecting road to the interstate. An elderly couple always walked this area looking for things that others have tossed out. This area is known as a trash dump site. The couple stated that it looked like a store mannequin face down in the snow as once they walked up and realized what it was, they also realized that she hadn't been there that very long because the snow was on the ground but not on the body. The couple remember seeing a white, stocky male in, in his 40s in the dumping area around the possible time the body was dumped. Of course, this elderly couple, they drive by this area all the time and they normally would stop several times in a week just to see if they could find any hidden treasure. Well, someone's trash is another person's treasure, I assume. 
and they identified, or I'm sorry, they reached out to local police. An autopsy was performed. Um, it states that she had only been dead for a few days. Failed to determine a cause of death. So with no obvious signs of a struggle or death or gunshot wound, stab or anything like that, strangulation is likely the cause of death. The only info available is that they believe she may have been a sex worker in the Pittsburgh area or a member of a Hare Krishana commune known as New Vrindaban, which resided in Marshall County, West Virginia. That's a large, vast difference of <laughs> she's either a sex worker or she's a, prost uh, a prostitute sex worker or she's a monk of some kind. And she may have got mixed in with this, this group. It's unknown. But the victim is described as being between 35 and 45 years old, standing 5 foot 6, weighing 135 pounds. A cesarean scar and set of top dentures were basically all the news and info that they had at the time. Oh, she had red hair. This was February of 83. Now, a few months later, on September the 16th, 1984, on an entrance ramp on Interstate 40 near Shearville or West Memphis, Arkansas, there was a body found just off the exit ramp. Now, this will be the only victim in the original investigation and for 30-some-odd-plus years that was actually identified in or around the time of the murder. It took nine months to uh, identify this victim, and she was identified as Lisa Ann Jarvis, a.k.a. Lisa Fuller or Nichols. Um course nine months later once the body was identified through fingerprints and a jailhouse informant serving time for being a pimp said they lived together for a while in West Memphis this pimp said he'd last seen or last saw Jarvis getting into a tractor trailer on September the 12th 1984 just miles from where her body was found authorities believe she was killed within 24 hours of when she was last seen so if she was seen September 12th, a body was found laying just on the side of an exit ramp on September 16th. There's three days there that is uh, unaccounted for. And plus, this perpetrator is not taking these victims and, and obviously taking them long distance so far. Well, in this situation, so, you know, he picked her up where she was last seen getting into a tractor-trailer truck just a few miles down the road at the truck stop, and then, uh, you know, four days later was found on the side of the road. So is he keeping them in something, in a truck, uh, somewhere? Is he in that local to that area of West Memphis? Um, it's unclear at this time. But basically... Um, once this victim was identified, 
Nashville Vice Squad Sergeant said Jarvis had the second longest prostitution record in Nashville and Davidson County. Of course, this was said back in 1984. So, yes, that would have some credence as to she was living maybe a high-risk lifestyle, but that doesn't really do anything but demean her. So I'm not sure what good saying that would do other than just to basically give him an out as to say, which it wasn't in his jurisdiction, but, you know, well, she was this or she was that, so my um, inactions are, are justified because of this, which is bullshit. Um, so I say for what does that mean, basically, by him saying that? Is it, should no one seek justice for her? She also had red hair. Now, we're going to go a little few months down the road to January the 1st, 1985. We've got Campbell County, Tennessee, Jane Doe number one found on the shoulder of I-75 near Jellicoe in East Tennessee. They believe she had been dead for two to three days. Autopsy revealed strangulation with rope. And they said no sexual assault, but they found seminal fluid on a blanket she was wrapped in. Well, I mean, that sounds like some kind of sexual assault to me. Uh, she'd given birth 10 to 12 weeks earlier. She's uh, 17 to 30 years old, 5 foot 1 to 5 foot 4. 110 pounds with a tan top and men's blue jeans. Uh, she had freckles all over her body, green eyes, partial denture for two front teeth. Several scar scars, a healed burn scar near uh, left arm, scars on both knees, fake two-inch scar near hairline, scar on right hand, and she had curly red hair. Um, in April of 1985, we have Campbell County Jane Doe number two. Now, this one's a little different. This was found by a passerby off Big Wheel Gap Road near Jellicoe, Tennessee, also near the Interstate I-75. Now, this find was just a skull and 32 bones. Investigators believe she had been killed anywhere between one and four years earlier, which just throws a, a, everything off just a, a little bit because that puts possible death in 81. Um, and, of course, my question would be, if it was that easy for a passerby to see a skull and the 32 scattered type bones of a, of a skeleton, then where has the body been? Because if you're going to see a skull, then you're going to see a full body in decomposition laying on the side. So there's something to that. I believe that the body wasn't there the whole time in that position, possibly. Um, they say that she's in the age between nine years old and 15, so it would be the youngest victim. Um, because of the remains, the no cause of death, uh, no height, no weight, or eye color, uh, they believe that several strands of red hair attached to the skull was uh, still, or was still attached to the skull. Silver fillings, uh, high top hiking shoes, and some jewelry near the body was found. And they were able to do a facial reconstruction um, of this victim. But that's all the information that they have.
Now, in March, or March 31st, 1985, in Cheatham County, Tennessee, we have a Jane Doe. This victim, there isn't much known at all. Uh, along I-24, Interstate 24 in Cheatham County, Tennessee, uh, same as Jane Doe number 2 from Campbell County, a skull and a couple bones and some clothing. A tip had came in from a, a passing motorist that led police to I-25 West, mile markers, in between mile markers 29 and 30. They found a severed head with uh, facial features obliterated by exposure to the elements and animals. Now, travelers from Indiana had stumbled upon the scene when their car had overheated and they had ventured into the wood line looking for water for the radiator. Now, this is absolutely all that's known about this Cheatham County Jane Doe. Now, in April, uh, April 1st, 1985, we have a young, white, red-headed woman found nude. Let me back up. The Cheatham County, Tennessee Jane Doe, it was a uh, skull with full of red hair. Knox County, Kentucky, near Barberville, a uh, young, white, red-headed woman found nude or partial nude. She had uh, two pairs of socks on with red, green and gold. She was found in an old refrigerator at a landfill, of course, on April 1st, 1985, in Knox County, Kentucky, four miles east of Corbin. Two men searching for scrap metal had uh, run up on the scene when they were looking to take the refrigerator that was in an area that was known for local dumping off for scrap metal. Um, they believed that she had died of suffocation, but had only been dead a few hours. No claw-type marks were found inside the fridge, so they believed she was dead when she was placed inside. She was last seen at 2 a.m. on that same day at a truck stop in Corbin on I-75. She was hitchhiking to North Carolina. Reports say that several CB uh, radio transmission went out looking for trucks going that way a woman looking for a ride to North Carolina. Now this is another example of a woman being abducted just miles from where she ends up being dumped. So if this is the work of one person, it seems that in some of these cases, now some of these cases we don't have any information whatsoever, but on some of the cases that we do have a little bit of information, it seems that he is abducting and dumping within a two or three mile radius, which to me is very odd because if someone is seen getting into your truck, you're only going to go a couple of miles down the road. And but it looks that way on several of these of these these poor victims. Now I've got this as number a seven, and I'm even going to add an eighth at the end. But the eighth is a little different. Now, on April 14th, 1985, in Greene County, Tennessee, Green, Greenville, Tennessee, Greene County, uh, a fisherman was taking a shortcut to a pond off of Interstate 81. Now, he was walking near an exit ramp 15 miles east of Greenville when the body was found nude, badly decomposed, but they were able to do a preliminary autopsy and found that she had been 
stabbed, but a blow to her head killed her. She had been dead three weeks. So that's going to put her death somewhere in the neighborhood of March, the third week of March. So March the 20th, 19th, 20th, 21st. So white woman, between 14 and 20 years old, five foot four to five foot six, 130 pounds. She was six to eight weeks pregnant, but had lost the baby before the murder. Now, this one is a little different. The other ones, now, there was no signs of blunt force trauma on any of just the skulls or of the victims. So this one is a little different. And people have said that they were, which they're unsure if any of them are connected, but it's this young lady was redheaded and that is seven victims found within a two-year period that all dumped along the interstate or close to the interstate with red hair. Now, if he's a long-haul truck driver, that's going to put his hub right there in the Knoxville or Cleveland, Tennessee area. Which, of these seven victims that I've named, the one was the only one that was identified. So we've got six Jane Does. So, if you look at the timeline, February of 83, and this is just in in comparison with the seven I spoke of here. February 1983, the first victim, then September of 84, which is, you know, several months, quite a bit. So you see a good period there of space. So maybe he had done this in February and it was enough to keep him at bay. It was he didn't have any urges of any kind. And then September of 84 and that area does it again. And then you've got January of 85, so you see that it get a little bit closer there, just, you know, four, four months, five, whatever the math is on that. And then you go from January of 85 to possibly two in March of it. Well, you've got one in March that you find that are just bones. So that is something that could have been kicked back to before 83, or it could have been in between the span of of 83 and 84. Maybe people thought he had, like I talked, he had taken a, a hiatus, but those uh, victims that were just found with the skeleton and a few bones could have been in between that time. But when they were found, you've got first victim of February 83, second victim, Lisa Jarvis, the only one identified at the time, September of 84, then January the 1st, 85, and then you've got two in March of 85, and then you've got an, another one in April of 85, and then you've got, actually it ends off in April, so you've got April the 1st, 1985, somewhere in uh, April of 85, and then the middle of April, 1985. So that's a I think the timeline is telling when you when you look at it like that. Um, which that last victim, April fourteenth, could it was dead three weeks, so that puts that back in that March period, end of March, third week of March. So I want to tell you a story on what I think might be one of the 
biggest breaks in this case over the last 30 years. I'll be right back. Now this case right here is the one that intrigues me. In March of 1985, now I don't know exactly when in March, it could have been toward the end, because if you notice on the timeline, middle of April, it's over. So in March 1985, Linda Shackey had thought she was making 300 extra dollars to dance and maybe have a, a sexual meeting with a client at Catch One Club in Knoxville, Tennessee. After meeting a long-haul uh, truck driver at the Catch One Club, the gentleman takes three $100 bills, rips them all three in half, gives her half, and tells her she can get the other half when she shows up at his hotel. Well, after her shift, she does show up at his hotel. He proceeds to rape her, takes her, kidnaps her in her own car, takes her shirt, rips it into strips, ties her up, strangles her until she was dead, and he threw her out near Watts Road in Knoxville, Tennessee, under a culvert. But she wasn't dead. She crawled up to the road, flagged down a passerby, and while at the hospital, she tells police that it was a gentleman by the name of Jerry Leon Johns age 37. He had dumped Linda near I-40 and Linda has red hair. Now, I'm assuming that sometime probably toward the end of March, 1st of April, middle of April, end of April, they probably had obtained enough evidence and had arrested Jerry Leon Johns for this they charged him with kidnapping rape attempted murder he got and he was convicted in 1987 and was sentenced to life in prison now police had thought that they had obtained an amazing break in the case here because look at all of the the circumstances now police didn't pursue him for any of these other victims which i think is crazy because to me he sounds like a perfect perfect suspect for some of these killings i mean obviously we don't have a lot of evidence in some that were you know just a skull or a bone but as we spoke about these victims that lisa nichols or lisa jarvis was the only one to be identified so what we've got timeline-wise now up to up to now is we've got seven victims, all red-headed, in different various stages of decomposition, but their bodies were found between September of 83 and April of 85. Then in March of 85, this dancer, Linda Shackey, is almost murdered, dumped just like the rest of them, not but a few miles down the road. 
but she survives, thank God. And this piece of shit, Jerry Leon Johns, was arrested and convicted. So this gentleman's in prison. He's doing his time. And there's really nothing of these other seven victims. So let's fast forward from... nineteen eighty five, nineteen eighty three to September the sixth, twenty eighteen. The Shelby County Sheriff's Office announced that the victim, Campbell County Jane Doe one, had been identified by fingerprint as Tina Marie McKinney Farmer of Indiana. She was twenty one or twenty two at the time of her death and was last seen in Indianapolis, Indiana, accompanied by a trucker said to be headed to Kentucky. Farmer had one daughter prior to disappearing in 1984. She was reported missing by her family at the time, but yet authorities in Indiana did not enter her into national databases. The state did not have a law common to many other states requiring law enforcement to enter unidentified victims into this database. Well, shame on them. Shame on them. Now, another break in this case. These victims gained some publicity in January of 2013. Police had received some tips. Nothing came of it. But five years later, on October the 1st, 2018, the Knox County Sheriff's Office announced that this woman which was Knox County Jane Doe that was found in the refrigerator was and had been identified as Epsi Regina Black Pilgrim of Western North Carolina, which makes sense because that woman was trying to get a ride to North Carolina. A DNA match was made between her and her grown daughter who said her mother disappeared when the girl was six weeks old. Pilgrim also had four other children and possible schizophrenia and other, maybe some mental illness. So they had reported her missing, but she also was just brushed to the side and swept under the rug. So what an amazing break in 2018 that two of these victims had been identified. Now that puts a total of three, but... In November of 2018, when officials announced that the victim that was found in Greene County, Tennessee, off of I-81, was New Hampshire native Elizabeth Lamont. Now, she was 17 at the time of her death, and Lamont had disappeared on April the 6th, 1984. She was identified through a DNA match after... A DNA profile was obtained from Lamont's family by New Hampshire police in 2017. She had been staying at a group home in Manchester, New Hampshire, and never returned to her family after gaining furlough. Lamont's family was initially asked for DNA profile to compare to the adult women victims that they had found concerning the Bear Brook murders. An unidentified girlfriend of the suspect, who went by the alias of Robert Evans, was also known by the same first name of Elizabeth. 
Now, Robert Evans was later revealed to be serial killer Terry Peter Rasmussen. So, we see that 30-some-odd-plus years later, we're starting to get some identities to some of these women, and that's amazing. But we're also seeing that these family members had had reached out to try to find their loved ones, but nobody seemed, and I know that there, the 80s was a different time with technology and everything else, and I understand that. But we see so many times, time and time again, where these kind of things are not taken seriously, and no one puts their time into it. I'm not sure if they just are less thans, or these people are prostitutes, or mentally ill, or homeless, or whatever they may be which is terrible. Now, you remember Linda Shackey that had survived the attack in 1985 and was able to put Jerry Leon Johns in prison. Well, as his DNA is entered into CODIS, A real wise police department decided that since they had identified Tina Farmer, they had went through that case as she was being identified and found, of course, the semen that was on the blanket, seminal fluid. So they decided to test it. And what a great, great idea. Because... In 2000, see, 2016. Now, Jerry Leon Johns had served every miserable day in prison of his sorry uh, life, which he has family too, and I apologize for being so crass. I know everybody is devastated in something like that. So, Mr. Jerry Leon Johns is convicted. He's in prison. He's doing his time. He dies in prison in 2015 at the age of 67. But, despite his exclusion from these redheaded murders, because he was found to have basically done the same thing in 85 with Linda Shackey, but somehow he's not connected to any of these, when this amazing detective decides to run this seminal fluid on this blanket from this newly identified Jane Doe, Tina Farmer, what in the hell do you think happens? Well, it's Jerry Leon John's seminal fluid on her blanket. There is proof that Jerry Leon John's killed Tina Farmer. Now, I don't know how many of these cases are connected, but that is an amazing start to possibly running DNA on some of these other cases that have been identified. You can start there because you've got a name, you've got family, you've got something you can work with instead of a skull, a Jane Doe. I understand that. Maybe they can connect this gentleman to some of these other victims. 
and they can give these some of these they can give these families some answers to questions as to where their loved ones had went and why they were gone all this time. But 30 years later, we're slowly but surely getting some answers. Uh, there's a podcast in the shadows that done an extensive investigation into this case, and it's an amazing podcast. You should listen to it. I want to thank everybody for listening. Please give us a review. Give us uh, five stars. Don't have to leave a review. Give us something. But this case interests me, and I think that there's going to be more in the future to come out because we're just now getting to getting some information over the last few years as to who these women are. So, and I may have got a date mixed, and I'm sorry if I said it. I said 16, I meant 18. She was found, Tina Farmer's body was identified in 18. Uh, that DNA was run. And a match was made to John's. John's. I'll end with this. He was a trucker who resided in Cleveland, Tennessee. They've not said if he's a suspect in any of the other cases, but I believe that he, I believe that he is. Him being in the Cleveland, Tennessee area, that would be his home base. That makes perfect sense for him to go out on this spree of of a madness and killing back in the 80s. But to the strength of a Linda Shackey, she put that to an end. But as you notice, the killing stopped when he went away. There's just a lot to look at at Jerry Leon Johns. But we hope to God that they can give some information to some of these grieving families. This is the weekly podcast. I just want to do a quick recap. Um, basically, we've got seven victims that have been murdered. Then we have one victim that was attempted murder. We've got victim number one, Wetzel County, West Virginia, Jane Doe. This is back in February of 1983. She is still unidentified. Then we have Lisa Nichols or Jarvis found in West Memphis off of Interstate 40, September of 84. Then we have Tina, uh, Tina Farmer, which was originally Campbell County Jane Doe number one, found in um, January the 1st, 85. She was identified in September of 2018. Um, she was 21 or 22 at the time of her death, last seen in Indianapolis, 
company by a trucker headed to Kentucky. Then we've got Campbell County Jane Doe number two, the nine to 15 year old with just a, a skull and 32 bones. That is still an unidentified victim, Jane Doe. Then we've got the Cheatham County, Tennessee. That also was a skull and some bones found of Interstate 24 uh, by the uh, people looking to get water for their radiator. That is still, it was in March of 85. That is still a Jane Doe case. In April of 85, the body of the woman in the Knox County, Kentucky uh, trash dump uh, in the refrigerator was identified as um, Epsi Regina Black Pilgrim in October of 2018. Uh, they made a match with her grown daughter over uh, one of the Doe Network pages. Um, the victim found in Greene County off of 81 uh, in April of 85 was identified in 2018 also as Elizabeth Lamont. She was only found because of the Bear Brook murders. They thought she was possibly a, a victim in that. Uh, she was identified in November of 2018. So we've got Wetzel County victim. Lisa Nichols, Tina Farmer, Campbell County, Jane Doe number two, Epsi Pilgrim, and Elizabeth Lamont. Now, Linda Shackey was the one that was attempted to be uh, killed, which ended up putting Jerry Leon Johns in prison. He was a long-haul truck driver. In 2018 also, DNA was run on Tina Farmer's blanket with the seminal fluid. It had connected... It matched Jerry Leon Johns. He had passed away in 15. The state said they would. there was enough evidence to press charges against Jerry Leon Johns, 14 of Farmer's death. He was a long-haul truck driver based out of Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, let's hope over the next few months that we may get some more answers for the families. Thanks, and this is the weekly, the weekly podcast.